Hello, and welcome to Dubious Information. I'm Michael. And I'm Patrick. And today we're discussing the Wells and Wellington Affair. Can you uh, start us off with some background patches? Of course. So, continuing our trend of uh, picking random Wikipedia featured articles, the Wells and Wellington Affair, quote, was a dispute about the publication of three papers in the Australian Journal of Herpetology in 1883, sorry, 1983 and 1985. Uh, so this particular event, the journal in question, uh, it was run by a first year student at a, uh, an Australian university. Confusingly named the University of New England, yes. at least for American listeners. Yes, very confusing. Uh, I found that kind of astonishing. I don't know what connotations first year has in this particular uh, reference, but as an American, that means that this was a freshman who was straight out of high school. And apparently extremely competent. Apparently. Uh, he, he was the sole editor of this journal. He answered to an editorial board for the first two issues uh, and then went radio silent for almost three years uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, and during this period of time, the editorial board was receiving manuscripts for publication in this journal, submitting them off to Wells, the, the man who uh, was the, the, the titular Wells of the Wells and Wellington affair. Um, they were, he was submitting them off to Wells for publication and nothing was being published. There, there were no journals published for uh, two to three years. And then finally, after this hiatus, Wells publishes three issues that consist of one article each that effectively rebrand and rename the entirety of uh, Australian uh, reptiles making dozens of new species promoting things changing names like just a he thought he could do it better and then he just did it and then he just did it uh and what was remarkable about this is that the reason that it wound up on wikipedia is this journal that he had uh, more or less usurped by virtue of it being his i guess uh caused quite the stir in uh the Rept the field of reptile study and more like i think it had kind of knock-on effects bringing to light how potentially fragile the bureaucratic system of naming nom nomenclature and taxonomy can be correct yeah anybody can kind of come up with it yeah it is all made up the uh the the standards um per what wikipedia describes as a quote available name in zoological terms is actually quite loose it has to use the Latin alphabet and be published somewhere. Oh my, we need to get into the naming of things. Uh, I think they do have published in, quote, a journal of some repute, uh, which led to uh, the band of uh, hepatologists. I can't pronounce it. Well, Heptology? Heptologists? Heptologists. Heptologists. Heptologists banding together to go to the International Board for deciding such things and ask for a formal suppression. Well, so they very specifically went to the Board of Zoological Nomenclature, which after years of deliberation decided on a no vote based on the fact that this was actually a taxonomical issue rather than a nomenclature issue, which is a hilarious result. This is bureaucracy to the 10,000. That, that is that is true. It, uh, 
it led to uh, basically they said, mm, hmm, uh, it's technically valid. It has Latin in there. Not our problem. <laughs> Which the fact that it took years to come to that conclusion is Correct. pretty mind boggling. Correct. And uh, the a collection of the responses from uh, adjacent fields of study. So this was, again, only happened to the Australian Journal of Hepatology. So it was just a bunch of people who like lizards who were fighting the, this fight. Uh, eventually, word got around to, you know, biologists talk to biologists. So uh, afterwards, it, it became something of a, a laughing matter in uh, other studies. So botany or what have you. And uh, they all pointed out, you know, it's it's great that we get to have a laugh at the sake of the uh, heptologists, but this could happen to anyone. And the, the point that they were making was that the standard for coming up with these names, um, which I did not know, but there is an entire process. And uh, the, the notion of uh, basically synonyms for plant names or animal names uh, where like, hey, that's a pine tree, but it's also a something Latin. Uh, that whole thing has an established set of practices where uh, old historical names for something, they can become what's known as, a, as synonyms, which doesn't mean synonym like you would use it in the standard sense of the English language where it's replaceable. It's a statement in biology where effectively this plant used to be called this because we thought it belonged to this family but now it's over here so whenever you're publishing things you can add uh, synonym references and say like this was studied as blah by blah in this time frame so the accepted name there's only one of those at any given time and as soon as something new comes up and there is apparently one published paper in a peer-reviewed journal that calls it something different that is now the new name oh by default as far noisy. as i can tell i'm not a hundred percent clear on that because if that wasn't the case this wouldn't have been an issue they would have just laughed at it and said oh well nope and then not promungled it in any way but apparently it was published in one place people got a hold of that and they're like well I guess this is the way the world works now. And that's how they wound up with a turtle that was named after Darth Vader or something <laughs> along those lines. I, I didn't see that face. Yeah. Um, there is... Uh, what, the one thing that did come out of this is there is a turtle named after... Uh, what, it's either a turtle or a snake. But I think it's Wells's adder or something along those lines, which would be a snake. That would be a snake. Not 100% sure if that's the case. And what about that Wellington fellow? The Wellington of the equation. Uh, Wellington was a high school biology teacher. Uh, and the two of them published, wrote and published these three papers, which were hilariously cited as well. Like the, the references that they contained within them were things of the nature of per specimens in the Australian, or the Australian uh, Museum of um, Heptology. Such a place doesn't exist. Mm. It was their quote-unquote private collections. Uh, they also made extensive references to what appeared to be multi-hundred-page documents that didn't exist. Oh. So. So it, in, it was a bit of a sham constructively 
But at the same time, they did do a pretty thorough treatment of reptiles in Australia. And I think the, the reason or the, the accepted reason for why they went through all this trouble was actually not the worst. They were not trying to increase right. their own renown. Yeah, this this wasn't a uh, this this wasn't uh, any sort of a malicious attack. They weren't like they didn't see hey, nomenclature is like it's a, it's it's not like seeing a blank wall and going, you know what would look great on that? Graffiti. <laughs> yeah, these are not trolls. No, these aren't they they, they didn't do this but which is most likely the reason why a lot of these names wound up in the uh, in popular usage and became quote unquote senior synonyms for a lot of these animals. Um, their justification primarily was uh, one of conservation. Um, the Australian uh, fauna and flora uh, at the time hadn't been rigorously studied. Uh, so these people set out to do that and I think they were aggressive, and they did it without a lot of uh, oversight or communication with the rest of the bio biological uh, world, which you can move fast that way, but you can also move real quick in the wrong direction. Yeah. And there, a lot of what they did was promote subspecies and population groups to speciehood status to aid in their visibility and conservation Correct. nobody necessarily cares if all the rabbits in colorado go extinct but if the colorado white fluffy rabbit goes extinct now that's an a news article correct correct so that that was that was a lot of their 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 movement was they took things that were fairly low on the uh, on the, the the tree of life as it were and made them their own major branches yeah, thereby promoting a lot of these things um so yeah that it it caused quite the stir and was uh one of the very earliest cases of um basically the academic community realizing turns out anyone with a computer can publish whatever they want uh so quote unquote desktop publishing well, when the notion of a desktop was kind of foreign correct correct this was the one of the one of the things that modern society had to adapt to in the in the eighties of turns out any idiot can put anything online and yeah. this wasn't even online this was any idiot can print something out and bind it and distribute it in libraries. I mean I think it does at least have some implications for modern scientific publishing in that that has gotten extremely watered down. Correct. What, what what is the 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 anecdote about the the randomly generated article that got accepted to some like physics review journal? Oh, uh, so it's it's called um, oh what is it? It's it's White Hat Publishing. The notion is in uh, academic presses and in uh, any sort of publishing matter. There's vanity presses where you go to a publisher and you say, "Hey, I would like you to publish my book." And then you pay them. That's not how uh, publishing works in like the fiction or the nonfiction book degrees. Like you go to a publisher, you tell them, I have this idea. They pay you to write the book and then they sell the book. Uh, in academic journals, it gets a little bit wonkier because you wind up paying fees in order for uh, basically for that work to continue because reasons like peer reviewers don't get paid. Uh, scientific journals now kind of run ads so 
whatever. Someone somewhere is collecting money. Because they can, I guess. Because they can. Yeah. So in uh, the scientific community, there does exist an entire, uh, like a, like a subgenre of um, people who typically they work as, uh, I know that the, the University of Colorado, I believe, their, their librarian maintains a lengthy list of, here are all of the journals that you should not, under any circumstances, trust. Um, where what they will do is they will, uh, people will submit joke articles to these things like they, they will submit things that are hilariously wrong uh sometimes to the point of being randomly generated <laughs> i know that there were a couple of people who submitted um their like sixth graders bat homework assignment that was six fun facts about bats i mean i do want to read that yeah uh and then they submitted these to journals and these quote-unquote journals accepted them uh allegedly published them and then charged them an arm and a leg for the publishing credit. Uh, so that is a relatively new thing in that it's shown up in the last 20 to 30 years. <laughs> Very historical yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah. But this is, uh, this, this event is a little bit different in that it is a, uh, journal effectively sidelining its editorial board and publishing what it decided by virtue of, the editorial board, like, it, there was one guy whose job it was to produce and distribute this uh, this journal, which is, it was, was unheard of before that point. Like, you had to have a printing press. Mm. You had to have people who, like, took your printed copies and reviewed them, whereas in the 80s, you could just hit print. <laughs> Submit it to Kinko's via fax, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the... Moral of this story is you can't believe everything you read, obviously. Welcome to the modern era. <laughs> I, I feel like that's probably a pretty universal constant. Yeah. But yeah. particularly from podcasts entitled Dubious Information. No, no, no. I think you can trust that. Yeah, I think that's uh... <laughs> there are only there, there's one thing you can trust, and it's podcasts that tell you up front that they're probably not right. <laughs> can't pronounce heptology either. Oh, there's another word you uh, i was at least promulgated 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 i thought it was promungled certainly not that yeah whatever <laughs> one of those words yeah we can siege into the next question or topic well wells and wellington two very notable last names i think today we've got a bonus first name do you want to tell us we about do. lewis so uh, while we were perusing the list of featured articles on Wikipedia, uh, one caught my, my, caught my eye for its nondescriptness. Uh, Lewis, no last name, or last name unknown, was a, an American baseball player who played exactly one game and uh, had, I, I didn't read too much of the article, but uh, his claim to fame is that he had, has the highest... Uh, some stat earned run average yeah. or something one game he was a really bad pitcher they just basically this was in the late 1800s when base what it, what it meant to be a professional athlete meant that you were willing to show up to most of the games and so this was a, a game in brooklyn between the brooklyn ward 
Warriors or Brooklyn Ward Wonders and the Buffalo Bisons back in the day when Buffalo was kind of the center of center of industry in America. And they just they needed a pitcher, and there was this guy named Lewis from Brooklyn who was willing to who was willing to pitch, and they sent him out there, and he was really so notably terrible that a hundred and thirty some years later, people are reading an article about just how bad of a game he had. Yep, yep. A, uh, he, he has been forever immortalized as Lewis Baseball, <laughs> the canonical Lewis of baseball. The canonical Lewis of baseball. Well. Happy to have learned about him. Yeah. Well, great. That's all from us today. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks. Bye.